Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com I'm a feminist, but today, for the first time, I went into a dance studio in a socially distanced way from my dance instructor, Melissa Bravo. So for those who don't know, my lockdown project was dance lessons because I wanted to make meaning of the time. And I also wanted to make it go faster. And I thought, you know, a dirty dancing montage makes the time go really fast. Just go, oh, wow, they've done a bit of this and a bit of this and a bit of this. And then three months has passed. So I thought I would learn to dance for all sorts of reasons. And so I hired a dance instructor called Melissa Bravo, who lives very close to me. We've been on Zoom together for four months now, dancing every single day. And today, for the first time, we went into a studio, as was legally allowed, and stood far from each other. And we were just staring at each other because we've seen more of each other in <laughs> lockdown than any other human being, but not in the flesh. And I'd only like met her once before this all happened. So we were just staring at each other for ages going, it's really you, it's really you. Like It's like looking at each other. And it was like we were seeing a video game avatar come to life. And then she just looked at me and she went, oh, my God, this room is so big. And I'm used to seeing you on this little screen. She said, this room is so big. You look really small in here. And I thought, oh, my God, this room is making me look thin. Amazing. <laughs> I genuinely. And I said it out loud. I said it out loud. I was like, I, 
as a feminist, obviously I'm not meant to care about that. And I've done a lot of work on myself to not have bad body image. But in that moment, she just went, this room makes you look small. I thought, I need to stand in bigger rooms. I need to stand in cathedrals and be dwarfed by the room. Because I'm also tall and broad and everything. And I, I have those, you know, occasional height, height breadth issues. And I just went, ah, oh, I look amazing in this room. Good. Are you, are you going to live in the room now? Is that is it your room? Like, oh, I asked great. if this I could rent it full time, obviously. And I thought, I'll just receive visitors in there. I'll sit in a massive throne and I'll look tiny because I'm not a petite woman. And I, you know, was raised in a patriarchy. I don't know about you. And uh, so I'm, I've been led to believe petite is better. And although I've retrained mm. myself to a large extent, every now and again, I'm triggered. Insults, I can bat off. But compliments... I go, oh, hold on. Am I being lured in? Am I being lured in? So I'm a feminist, but even though I've kind of committed to not wearing makeup on my Zooms, the Greedy Feminist got quite a large audience. And I didn't know if he was going to put this out. So I was like, you know what? Other podcasts, like, yeah, but this podcast, let me put, let me put my lip, let me put this on. Well, we will take uh, a picture. Um, there you see, there you go. Uh, that's worth it. I just was a bit concerned that. I was going to say, when you started that with, I'm not wearing makeup for Zooms, so I was like, Athena, you are wearing fabulous makeup right now. What are you talking about? You are lying to the listeners. <laughs> I'm wearing it for you, Debbie. I just thought to myself, eye you know. Makeup. Oh. Is, do you like that? I'm, I'm not, I've actually not, this is genuine, I've not worn eyeshadow or mascara all lockdown. I've, it's saved me so much money. My super drug points card is dead. You know, I've got nothing on it because I'm not buying any makeup. Um, and it's quite liberating, although it has got a bit mm. solid. So you probably can't see the clumps, but my mate, mascara opened it and it was like a tin of paint. It was ridiculous. It was the like joy wax. of Zoom is that you sort of can't really see details. So... Like, mm. I'm just yeah. wearing, I haven't got any makeup on. I've just got these big glasses, which I think of as face armour. And then you can't see whether I'm wearing eyeliner or not, I think. And I've just gone for a, a beachy natural hair look, by which I mean I washed my hair two days ago, left it, didn't blow dry it. And I've just sort of hoped for the best. It really, it looks like I've just got out of bed. Fair. Um, <laughs> I'm a feminist, but my friend spilled red wine on his new white trainers and was trying to clean them himself. And I said, No! That's a job for a mum. Now, to be fair to me, a mum had offered, not his mum, but a mum, immediately said, I'll do that. And I'm sorry, I myself am not a mum, but I trust mums more than other people for some things. They just know. They've got experience. Athena, you are now a mum. Buy a soda, you know, and baby wipes on that. She didn't know that. People, she didn't yeah. know that when I met her, Buy Athena Kaplan. baby wipes, you know. She did I not know birth, that. And I was like, you get given all this information. And it, some of it's about breastfeeding, but some of it's about cleaning trainers. Um, and so... Do you get a manual from the government? <laughs> yeah, get a manual. But yeah, it, that or teenage boys. Teenage boys know how to keep their trainers clean, Deborah. Yeah. They know, they know oh. it's very, they're very into that clean trainers and stuff. It's the fashion. Get a 16 year old kid and make sure they're wearing clean trainers themselves. If they are, that's not an accident. They're probably 12 years old, those trainers. They've kept them pristine. <laughs> uh, they know all the tricks. They know all these. I believe the chemistry science now, GCSEs, keep your trainers clean. Can I just question something here? I just like to fact check and call fake news where I see it. If a 16-year-old has 12-year-old trainers, then they have fit him since he was four. And if he's four, when he was four, his, his feet have not grown beyond four. I'm just, I just, if I see fake news, Athena, I've got to call it now. notwithstanding interrogation, but what I would say it really is, is not. that sometimes what people do is they wear baby trainers around their neck as jewellery. 
And I was actually talking uh, about guys who God. do that. You know, and I forgot to mention that because I was trying to be concise. So it would make um, sense why they'd so, spill red wine on them if they're around their neck now. That's exactly, this is working for you. Yeah, this is good. Thank you. Yeah. Do you want to do one? Yeah, and it's actually related to this, and it's it's a confessional. Oh, um because it's, it's kind of related to it. I'm a feminist, but I do all the cooking in this household. Like all of it. Wow. All of it. And it's kind of like it's got to the point now where my partner will ask permission to like go into the fridge and I quite like the power, but I want you know, like you know, it's like, oh, can I get out the blueberries? And I feel like saying no, but really of course he can. It's he brought the fridge in it, like I don't care. <laughs> you know, and he calls me food police, but he'll give like food to our daughter and he'll be like, Oh, is she allowed to eat this? And I kind of think feed her what you like, but I think no, I'm gonna say no. You know what I mean? I'm gonna inf- I'm gonna just enforce this, even though I don't really care. I like right. The, I like the you just get you like in the power. It's, yeah, but, it's, it's a tricky yeah. one, that isn't it? Because on the on the face of it, the woman in an opposite sex relationship doing all the cooking doesn't sound feminist. But the way you've managed to pull it off, where you're food police, it sounds like. <laughs> and I don't want to say all cops are bad cops, Athena, but I'm going to have to pull that again on this occasion. That's not. I'm bad. I stop and search him. Where's this flapjack come from? You know, like I, you know, no, I'm like, you're acting suspiciously. Uh, so and no reason, also no evidence. I'll just, I'll just find out where'd you get this crisp from. But yeah, I do. That is hard. It's really hard trying to challenge gender roles when you're a really good cook. I can't deny it. I've, I've got magic fingers, man. I know my spices. So it's, you know, it's difficult. And um, he did do one thing though. He did, like he does man things. Like he won't let me cut the grass because he's very into his lawns. Has anyone else into lawns? I don't know. We're privileged enough to have a garden and he won't let me mow it. And I, I act upset. I'm not really upset about it. I'm like, fine. You I'm are. Like, oh, no. It's a weird one because you're falling into very binary stereotypes, but somehow you will have all the power. It's very... If you want to control one room in the house, guys, it's the kitchen. I'm a feminist, but when our conservative British government announced a £1.6 billion bailout for the arts last night... I knew that they had kept us waiting, saying nothing, pretending they were going to give us nothing and all our venues would close down. So when they did give us something, we'd be pathetically grateful and feel nice feelings towards them. And honestly, it worked. I do feel pathetically grateful and I do feel nice feelings for them today. (laughs) Tomorrow, I will go back to being angry and cynical. And I will also say, oh, it's not enough. And, you know, oh, but France gave six billion euros to the arts, blah, blah, blah. But today, their trick worked because they were just saying nothing and they kept, oh, there'll be a plan. We'll open the venues one day. Oh, it'll be fine. True. And we were like, no, theatres are closing, theatres are closing. I mean, it's, it's Lockholm syndrome for sure. I don't feel proud to have had a moment's pleasant and warm thinking towards this government. I don't feel proud of it. That's why I'm saying it here. It's a trick. And we, um, did I fall for it? No, I didn't. So, Did sorry. you not? Were you not so thrilled that when it was say it said one point six billion, and it wasn't like two million quid or something? Were you not thrilled? Do you know what? Because primarily I'm a stand up. All I could think was was I don't see a lot of stand up people, you know, from promoters to venues to comedians benefiting from it because stand up occupies a very weird space in our cultural landscape. Mm. Um, mainly because there's a very blurred line between amateur and professional stand up, and there's a very blurred line between. All right, oh, I'm just this, here. This, you don't have to this. subtweet me like that. <laughs> so, if there's anyone that could never be accused of being an amateur, it's you, Deborah. Don't worry about that. That does not. That's mud that does not stick. Do you know what I mean? You. That is oh, stop teflon. It, Athena. Stop it. If I stop it. I mean, so they, do go on. Um, 
Yeah, I know what you mean, but but art centres and venues where comedians can tour, not closing yes. down, is everything. Because everything else, you know, the rooms above a pub will survive. They'll come back, you know. And also, we're allowed in pubs now. I mean, that was the first thing to uh, be allowed to open. Yeah. But I think if the art centres and the touring thing doesn't survive, we're, it's over. The whole They're so over. important for communities. I think the art centres, there's a reason why we spend so much money on them, because not everyone can come down to London to watch a show. It's simple. And yeah. I wasn't really aware of the art centre community before I got to stand up. Because I'm in London, I'm privileged, I can see everything I want. Uh, so going to all these places and seeing like the productions and how they tour and stuff, man, it, they're so vital. So if we, yeah, the preservation of those centres is something that is necessary because it's necessary i won't praise the government it's like providing health care that's what they're supposed very to do. good see you did yeah. not get lured into their web like <laughs> i did i got lured in have you got one last one athena yeah i've got a last one you know when i said i don't wear makeup for my zooms that's a lie i put on a coat and i just but I make it unnatural natural so no one knows just to take off a bit of shine to do the under eye and people go you look really great and i go thank you but really i'm wearing makeup oh <gasps> All this time you've been saying au naturel, but really yeah. you've been doing... I've been ha- hashtag natural, hashtag no oh. makeup. But <laughs> no God. I, this, this is a is, scoop. This is, is going to be in the, the reason, papers tomorrow. The reason why I'm saying this now is because I'm not sleeping at night. <laughs> That's a lie. I'm sleeping fine. It's just... <laughs> but, you know, it's hard to know what to believe. From a variety of bedrooms and kitchens via Zoom, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host Athena Kablenu, and very special guests, Leila Hussein, Stephanie Pearson, and Adanike Adesanya, talking about Black Women and Girls Matter. <laughs> this is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White. My co-pilot today is Athena Kablenu, and we're talking about Black Women and Girls Matter. Uh, so firstly, Athena Kablenu, how the hell are you? You know what? I'm fine. I'm, I struggle with that question now because every day is pretty much the same. I'm trying to find a different answer. Like, yeah, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm okay. Things are going well. I'm... Acquainted with the environment, I like. I don't know. I'm running out of words. Um, but yes, you're in well. lockdown with a small child, aren't you? Yes, yes, I am. Yeah, little toddler, little monster. Yeah. I Aww. saw you saying today, "Is lockdown over?" And am I just sitting inside playing grade two piano like a mum? <laughs> It is just that what you've like, been doing? It just, yeah, because I used to play piano as a kid and I stopped. And we've got, um, when I moved in with my partner, he came with an electric keyboard. And I he just came started. with one. It sounds like you've sent off for him. It's like when you get a magazine and you get stickers. He came with his keyboard. I was like, this is really keyboard. good value for money. Really, like, really good value for money. Um, you get and a man who comes with a keyboard. It's, is it's, it a good quality keyboard? It's not a It's a Yamaha. Um, it's pretty old, but it's nice. And it does different, you know, it's, it's a nice keyboard. He's had it for a long time. So and does the I, um, keyboard yeah. come with a good quality man? Is probably the better question. Oh, I mean, I, I, I'm more, I spend more time with the keyboard, if I'm honest. But, so that's, <laughs> that's probably, uh, <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, as is the way. So I'm just going to introduce our posse for today. We'll be hearing from all of these people later, but they're all free to chip in in the meantime. So hello, Leila Hussein. Hi, Debs. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you here, have been a very finally. frequent guest on the Guilty Feminist podcast, and we are yes. so delighted to have you back. Yes, glad to be back. But we have two uh, first-time guests, which we're very excited about. Uh, Stephanie Pearson, hello. Hi, Deb. Hello. Hi. 
Um, I've only just very recently met you uh, through the Black Lives Matter UK Instagram account uh, where you were telling me everything that was going on. And this is how I was finding out about uh, all the marches, the march I attended. Uh, So I'm delighted to meet you. Thank you for everything you're doing. No, glad you're enjoying it. Yeah. And uh, also, Adenike Adesanya. Ade, how are you? Hi, Deb, I'm fine. Ade, I know you because you are uh, an activist and model and your Instagram account is ah, Chef Kiss Incredible. Oh, thank you. And you're also doing a lot for Black Lives Matter. Yes, I am. Yeah, it's very exciting. So we can't wait to hear more from you. And Boomy Thomas, we haven't seen you since the Royal Albert Hall. How are you? I'm good. I'm alive and I'm thankful. Alive and thankful. Uh, That's a wonderful way to be. Just very quickly, you're going to play the music for us tonight. You're still in the UK. Last time the listeners heard from you, you were in a situation where, as part of the Windrush scandal, they were trying to deport you, even though you were born in Glasgow. Can you just give the listeners an update on how everything's going? Yeah, so post our last conversation, we had the uh, tribunal um, on the 16th of October um, and the judge ruled in, in my favour on the 23rd of October. And one would have thought that, that would naturally or organically translate into the, the issue being resolved. However, sure. we had to further litigate uh, with the Home Office because they initially issued a uh, duration of leave for the period of 30 months. And uh, we said, well, that's not the decision that was appealed. It was indefinite leave to remain. And so it was back and forth with them. And then um, we had to litigate through a judicial review. And um, it was only on the 31st of March this year that they, the Home Office said they were going to settle um, out of court and review their decision. Uh, so it's been still a bureaucratic exercise. And um, I mean, the threat of the deportation removal has been neutralized. However, the recognition and legitimacy of my status is still in question. Yeah, uh, I'm so sorry to hear that, but I'm so glad you're still with us Me and uh, representing Britain in the way that you do extraordinarily as a jazz musician. And just, you know, you shouldn't have a different leaves to remain. You should have a passport. You're born in Glasgow, for God's sake. I mean, I know this, we know this. And this is the thing, I think that with what's happening with the resurgence of the civil rights movement and looking at different... Uh, representations of institutionalized racism and policies that reinforce this imbalance that yeah. it's a really really pivotal time to be looking at reform as far as migration law is concerned on a parliamentary level what does global rep- Britain truly represent what is diversity and what is it in practice um, and how do we work together to reach a I'd say a whole, a more holistic progressive state of being in which the civil rights and human rights of citizens of the Commonwealth are preserved in this contemporary condensation of Great Britain. Wonderful. Well, we cannot wait. You have a new album out and we cannot wait to hear a song or two from it tonight. Uh, So now it's time for Athena Kablenu. I'm so thrilled to see you face to face like this. I mean, I'm sorry we're not in the same room. It's but, a shame, yeah. It's a lot better in real life, but this is a yeah. this is an okay alternative, I think. We're making do, and that's the best we can do. We are. We are. I'd love to have you at my house, but uh, we have a global <laughs> pandemic going on in Camden Town. So 
And it's I feel, not I've got possible. a bubble with my mum's house, so I'd have to have turned you down, and that'd be really awkward. I'd be like, I'm sorry, I've got my mum is my bubble, you know, and it, you know, it just. Oh, you've already bubbled you know, up with your mum. I know I've bubbled up. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. I mean, you could have WhatsApped me and said, "I'm just about to bubble up with my mum, <laughs> but if you want to get in there first, <laughs> you know what? I was waiting for you. I was waiting for, and I'd go on to WhatsApp, and I'd be like, Deborah's online. Like, brilliant. It's an unrequited bubbling. We'll call it unrequited bubbling an and un- we'll, just have to, we'll just have to move on and, and wonder what could have been. What could have been? Well, listen, yeah. next time we lock down, we'll be ready for each other. And I say that <laughs> only because I wouldn't have said that last week because I didn't want to be pessimistic. But then mm-hmm. I saw Soho after British people were allowed to have a pint again. And it looks like New Year's <laughs> Eve and Carnival yeah. and the first day of the sales all in it one. It was it was pretty mad. Not a lot of not many masks. Lots of hugging. Lots of I love yous. Lots of all my best mates. Um, yeah, it was to be expected. Um, I think to be fair, most people were probably okay with their drinking sessions. But those pictures were when you compare oh. them to like the protests where there was a bit of social distancing, where there were lots of masks, lots of awareness. The, the, the protest was so respectful, I thought. And I think the science has proved that they were because they don't, I don't believe there have been any spikes or anything that we can note in the statistics that coincide with those gatherings. Uh, it would be interesting. Fingers crossed, everything, nothing would have happened and we'll get the same results after we've gone out on our sessions. But I don't know. I don't know. Um, and there'll be a few people who um, cheated on their bubbles, I think, after... <laughs> Oh, that. <laughs> after Super Saturday, <laughs> a few bubble controversies, people waking up in the wrong bubble, and so on and so forth. So we'll have to. Um, we'll oh, have to it's cross our fingers. Soho okay. scene was absolutely nothing <laughs> like the Black Lives Matter march that I went on. It was actually the most empowered I'd ever felt in a protest because normally, at the, like at the beginning of all the women's marches, it was like you were on the Northern Line at rush hour and you just couldn't mm. move. And actually it didn't feel mm. very empowering because it took us an hour to take off. And in that time you would just been standing and standing and standing and standing. Not that I'm complaining about the conditions of the protest. I am obviously, but <laughs> I don't mean to. But the thing about the Black Lives Matter protest is because we had to socially distance, it felt empowered, but everyone was wearing a mask and everyone was walking in the same direction. Everyone was very respectful about space. I'm sure there wasn't always two metres. I think we need to be very honest well, about that. But it wasn't, no one was breaking the spirit of that. You're absolutely right. And to be honest, not to get boring about this, but the science of crowd movement is actually distance makes crowds move bigger. If you think about everyone trying to get off a plane, like yeah. it's a nightmare because everyone just rams and tries to get off. It's like, we're all going through, we're going to see each other again in passport control, mate. Do you know what I mean? Like, chill out. Mm. And then we're going to see each other again at the luggage rack. Watch your rush. Use the toilet. There's one around the corner. Very odd behaviour. Um, but that this, if we can keep, see, there's certain lockdown behaviours we need to keep. This whole keep yes. distance. We move quicker, you know, it's, it's nicer. It's just like, oh, you've got more You're space right. to breathe. Because you know. congestion happens and then no one can get anywhere. Precisely. If I went on Room 101, you know that show where you put things in the room that you you know you don't want to see them again. Mine would be the way people crowd around a baggage carousel at an airport. <laughs> if we all stand back behind the yellow line, which has been painted on for a reason, we can all see our bag coming. They come so slowly. When you see your bag, that's when you step forward. I can't see my bag at all because you're so crowded around it. And there's no chance of me getting, or I can see it, but I can't get to it because I just can't. 
I, you know and, I, and I do sometimes make an announcement. I've not asked her. <laughs> I just go, um, could everyone stand behind the yellow line? Because then we can all see our bags coming. I do if you do get a high viz, if you get a high viz, you can make all kinds of announcements and no one will question you. But oh, I have to like, I do. But just to get into the mindset of a baggage carousel crowder, I love luggage. Like, it's my thing. So I like to spy on other people's luggage. I'm like, oh, that's a nice, that's oh. nice. Oh, that's a nice, you know, so that's a Samsung. Like, oh, I can't afford that. As long as you don't open it. No, no, no. I don't. I, well, you can't break into the good ones. Um. <laughs> because they've got locks and they've got lots combination of stuff, marks. So. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, and the cheap ones probably don't contain things you want to nick anyway. So nothing's really going on there for me. And the airport's the worst place to nick stuff. Like, it's a very highly secured environment. I'm into this kind of stuff, by the way. I'm just banter, guys. See, banter. I always think it would be so easy to steal someone else's banter. suitcase. Because they're just all exposed. You could just take it off with authority and it should it. it should happen more often when you think about it. The fact that, you know, like, people just would be like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll have that. I'm always amazed. I'm always amazed. Yes. It, as soon as I've said that, I thought, I think that might be my white privilege talking. Saying, no, no, no. just walk up an airport with the suitcase if you walk with authority. Like, yeah, oh. it's, it's, it's not, but I will say, the fact it doesn't happen that often means people are essentially good. Uh, there is, yeah. not everyone, there's, I don't know, you know, some people aren't. Trump would probably knit loads of luggage, but um, people are generally, you can trust yeah. people in certain situations, you know. Um, in certain situations. And- it's also, if you've just got off a long haul flight, you cannot be asked to carry anyone else's fucking suitcase. <laughs> You don't even want your own end. You're just like, let exactly. me out of this airport. Yeah, two five. Keep it. Keep it all. Um, this was my favourite headline ever. See, I used. To, I think in some ways Britain used to be seen as a sort of slightly intellectual country. Do you know what I mean? There was a sort of, you know, clever clogsy and Oxbridge just to us. This is a genuine BBC news headline from this weekend. It says, and I'll show it to you there, coronavirus... Morning update as police warn drunks cannot distance. <laughs> and then there's another news story below that confirms that the Pope is in fact a Catholic. Yeah, we um, no. I was trying to I clicked through the link about where bears shit. And I'm like, the most famous thing about drunk up. people is that we lurch at each other and tell each other that we love each other. Or we can't control ourselves and we stumble on somebody. While spitting in your friend's ear. Oh. Do you know what I mean? There's a, lot of, oh. there's a huge exchange of fluid whilst you're drunk that you don't even know about. It's people a, spitting it's, over other people's pipes. Oh, my God. Oh, my you God. Know, it's just... Or picking up the wrong drink and you're like, well, I've started now. It's just... You know, it's just <laughs> when I think about my... I don't drink so much these days, but I used to drink a lot. And I think, oh, yeah, a Petri dish. Just like anything that can be spread through air or liquid or whatever, with your clothes on, is getting spread. And God, as for what can be spread with your clothes off, I mean, come on, what, you know, the drunkenness is, um, it's weird that they open the pubs before schools. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I was like, but that's I so British, isn't it? <laughs> There's public pressure, the public pressure. Schools. It's like, oh my yeah. God. It's so, it's um, extraordinary that we, we feel like we can't educate our children in a safe environment, but we can go out and we can do our bombs and our Smyrna vices, and that's I mean, fine. Um, There's, so there would we'll have been see. so many underage kids at that pub as well. I mean, <laughs> on the weekend, let's be perfect. Possibly, honest. and yeah, and it, the, and we, they, they made out like it was us doing our duty, like it's your duty to get the economy going again. And it's like, can't I just order something off Amazon? Do you know what I mean? Can't I just order Waterstones? That's an, you know, like I've got to go to a pub, and pubs are horrible. When everyone was like, we can't wait for the pubs to open. Have you been in a pub recently? Have you seen their carpets? 
Yeah. I was just, that, the only thing good Sticky about it was... Floors. Well, I know. The only thing good about lockdown is that landlords have had a chance to clean these places. Because Lord knows mm. I've never been in a clean pub in my life. I've been in one that didn't wipe down. You know what I mean? And then the night they come down and they wipe down the table. I've seen that. Mm. I've not seen a vacuum. I've not seen a shaken back. I've not seen any of these things happen in pubs. And I've been in a lot of them. So hopefully... That's so true. Hopefully they've still cleaned the carpets. Hopefully they've mm. done something and they can keep it in a sanitised condition. Uh, some of them still smell of smoke. And there's been a smoking ban in this country for like <laughs> the best part of a decade. It's like legacy smoke. It's like a museum where they pump in. I went to the World War II Imperial War Museum and they pumped in smells through this one exhibit so you could like oh, smell wow. what an air raid shell yeah. would be like. Yeah. So that's what sort of these yeah. pubs are like. Like back in 2005, this is what the pub smelled like. It's like, wow, how they used to live. Great. Amazing. Great. Yeah, speaking of things you can catch with your clothes on, I saw an article about people anonymously confessing that in the real heart of lockdown, I mean, it's still illegal to have sex with someone who's not in your house. Um, oh, uh, so but annoying. <laughs> was it about you, Layla? Yes, that was me. I'm still upset about that rule. Because yeah, your your screen blurred a bit, and I wasn't sure that it was you that had said it, uh, but I thought it was your voice. I thought, yes, that's so annoying. But uh, it was like in the real heart of the lockdown, people were anonymously confessing for this article um, in one of the broadsheets about sex during lockdown. How they'd just gone, I can't handle it anymore. I'm going to go off and shag somebody, and they'd gone on Tinder and they just shagged a random. And this guy told a story, and he said, "When I got to house, we both washed our hands for." Ages before we began. And I, I thought, <laughs> <laughs> you, you want to gargle with Listerine? There's happy all sorts you want to do. To you. Happy birthday to me. Uh, yeah. I'm just, what? That is not going to help if you're going to put your tongue in someone's mouth. Oh, but our hands were terribly clean. It, Maybe they didn't put their tongues in each other's mouth. Maybe they just, just did yeah. masked penetration. If it's just your hands that you're washing, it's not sex, is it? I mean, it's it's, it's I suppose fun. If you but held it's not sex. hands, very clean hands, both had masks on, and you just penetrated and tried to keep a distance, like a reverse cowgirl would be good to not catch COVID. It would be like <laughs> I'm picturing like like mime, but with sex involved, and the hands are touching. You know, no, you I'm should have, we should have bubbled out, up. We but... should have bubbled up to the thing along the same lines. <laughs> but good, good for that, man. At least, well, at least you're not going to catch anything on your hands. Yeah. You know, can you get coleslaws on your hands? Well, not these guys because they wash them. Everything else, up for grabs. <laughs> um, I personally, I think you should certainly you should wash it anyway, regardless of COVID. Yeah, I think if you're gonna, it's just, it's just polite, thing. isn't it? Does it not kill the mood though if you're both standing there washing your hands for two happy birthdays? It's not very You've erotic. You've got to sing like Marvin Gaye. You've got to be like, hey baby, I can't hold the mess of water. Did you sing Marvin Gaye? It's fine. Yeah. Well, so I can't do, sing. Boom's looking at me like, what was that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. Sex songs to wash your hands to, to make it erotic. Please welcome to the mic, Athena Kablenu. Woo! <laughs> oh, that's... Oh, that, this is what I missed, you know what I mean? Just like walking onto a stage and I was like, we want to see you! Yeah, that was lovely. Thank you guys. So I'm going to talk about something that um, I've been speaking on actually for the past few weeks. Obviously, it's about Black Lives Matter, 
Um, I'm contractually obliged to talk about Black Lives Matter now. But um, what I want to talk about is why I don't march for Black Lives Matter. I didn't march um, four or five years ago. Um, and I didn't march this time around. And it's not because I'm not an activist. Although I'm a very bad activist, all I do is give money. I struggle to give time. It's not because I don't believe in equality and in the erasure of racism and particularly anti-black racism. All these things are things I'm passionate about and have been for a long time. But I've always struggled with, with the term Black Lives Matter. I don't feel like I want to pay. You know, I live in London. It costs money to get into town. It costs £12 return for me. You know, I'm in, I'm in a city area of London. I have a tube station. And I don't want to pay all that money to get into town, you know, buy snacks, you know, buy water to hold up a sign to tell people about my life matters. Like, it mattered from the day I was conceived. If it had to get that basic, then I will take myself out of that conversation and people have that conversation with themselves. I have an Indian mother, when she gave birth to me, the doctor didn't look at her and be like, oh, sorry, this one doesn't, do you want it? Because it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't happen. Like, it's just how it is. And that's identified strongly with my African identity. What does black lives matter mean to a continent in which being black doesn't matter? Because everyone's black. You know, and we don't often place that um, conversation in Africa. I think Black Lives Matter is just an important thing to say because it's had to get that basic, but it's a frustrating thing to say because it's so obvious. I wouldn't leave my house to say egg mayonnaise sandwiches are disgusting because we all know it. It's, it's quite clear to me that egg and mayonnaise shouldn't go together. I mean, it's... Guys, this is, this is egg, right, being coated in a sauce that is also made of egg. What's wrong with you? It's disgusting. I wouldn't put that on a, on a, on a banner and walk down the street saying don't eat it. It's obvious, guys. If you're eating it, it's up to you to just continue eating your egg mayonnaise sandwiches, have your eggy farts in the morning. Like, that's not for me. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't walk down the street and say, put the milk in last. If you're not doing that, you're a psychopath, live your life, don't come near me, you're weird. Okay, how do you know you're getting the right amount of milk and your, your tea's the right colour if you're not putting the milk in last? So I wouldn't, you know... That's the only reason why I don't march for Black Lives Matter. Not because it doesn't mean anything to me, not because I don't support people who are in the movement, not because I'm not grateful for it, but I think we should have the right to opt out of, of certain things that don't um, align themselves with their, your politics. And my politics has always been, I'm a black person, I'm an African person, and you know, if somebody needs convincing of those basic things, then I'm not, I don't know, I've got a lot of energy, but I put it towards other things. And I'm so grateful other people are willing to look other people in the eye and say, by the way, African people have the right to be alive. That's a lot. That's why we're so tired. Could you imagine? I remember when I was a kid, my dad tried to get me to work out how much profit I would make if I bought something for 10p and I sold it for 12p. It's a very vivid memory I have. And the frustration that he had when I couldn't give him an answer, he was like, if you buy it for 10p and you sell it for 12p, how much money have you made? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Could you imagine how angry he must have been at this child who can't work out that she's made two pence? No wonder I'm broke now. I don't know anything. And that's what it's like trying to get people to realise and understand something that's basic. So that's why I don't physically put my body in that space uh, because of that message. However, I deal with another hashtag that I would like to um, start because it is one I would align myself with. It's definitely a hashtag that I think I would um, go out and pay my £12 travel and go to Pret and buy my baguette and, you know, have a wee outside a truck because that's something we've got to do that in protest. You've got to wee weird places. And maybe I just go to strange protests. And that is um, hashtag WPAM, white people are mad. Now, a, a lot of people will be like, oh, that's a bit much. But I'm not saying 
all white people are mad. I think everybody's mad. Attila the Hun was not white and he was mad. I think we can agree on that. Egyptians were not white and they was brothers and sisters and having sex with each other. This is very mad. Um, you know, Gang of Four in China, they were Chinese, not white. Mad, 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 mad. But I do think over history, if you were to add up all the madness, you know, you'd get sort of like X amount of mad Indian people and X amount of mad Chinese people and then the amount of mad white people just be like, wow, there's a lot of biscuits being taken here. Um, like, we have to acknowledge the madness, you know. I'm seeing lots of videos of, of police officers harassing people for like the tiniest bit of weed or for looking funny or for driving nice cars. I remember at school being accused of plagiarism more than, more, more than one occasion because people couldn't acknowledge that I was just really good at, at stuff. So I said stuff. But what I mean was writing. Uh, but, you know, you, mm. I'm old now. I'm not that bright little 15-year-old anymore. And there's lots, of, there's lots of evidence we can give. So hashtag white people are mad. I'd, I'd march for that because that's the real acknowledgement. Like, wow, we need to change something like pathologically in the way we view black people. And I heard a lovely term, Afrophobia. And I thought, this is it. This Afrophobia, there was something that just sparks a reaction in people who aren't black. That is like, we fear you, so we must control you. We must suppress you. We must suppress you. Because it's a bit controversial, on the back of that sign, I would put egg mayonnaise sandwiches are bad. So if someone reads it and is like, that's a bit nuts, I'd be like, no, 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 but I'm not completely nuts. Look, egg mayonnaise sandwiches are bad. Like, I've got another sign here too that you might like better. So that's how, why, I hope that explains my position on it, really. Um, I support the cause. I agree with it. I think it's working. I think more people who aren't black are supporting Black Lives Matter than ever before. I saw the Colston statue getting knocked down and it was all white people, you know? We didn't care. That's what I want. I want us to have our energy to regroup and do our own thing and do create our own work and to study and to enjoy each other. And I want people who aren't black to dismantle stuff that they've created. And then we can all come together and just be like the, the human family we're supposed to be. Spread the load, you know. Um, so I like it just working and I like it because it's motivating people, but I can't march for it. I know I'm at, I don't, it demeans me to ask you for the right to exist. You, oh, you don't have that power. No one does. If I give you that power, that is investing myself in supremacy. But white people are mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I hear what you're that. saying, yeah, yeah. Um, Athena. And I just want to give you a round of applause. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you, guys. Um, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think it's every individual black person's right to say, either I want to be in the middle of this, or I want to conserve my energy because I shouldn't have to be arguing this. And, you know, so many of my close black female friends have said of all the many ways in being a black woman as well as a black person has, uh, you know, how uh, how painful and uh, exhausting uh, this mm. most recent period has been. And everybody's got to handle it in their own way. And it's a completely valid response. And I think we it's really easy to forget that. And I'm glad you've said it. It's really easy to think, oh, all black people are doing this, all black people feel this, all black people should be doing this. And I think it's a really important point. My piece to camera, which is going to be short uh, for obvious reasons before we bring our guests on, was really about, I feel like something opened up in me and sort of shifted my view slightly when I saw Amy Cooper in the park in Central Park in New York City accusing Christian Cooper on the phone, making it sound like he was attacking her when clearly he was just another walker saying, oh, there are birds here. Do you mind putting your dog on a leash? And the revelation I had very early on, which I hadn't seen in the press anywhere, was uh, that his name was Christian Cooper and her name was Amy Cooper. Now, mm. although neither of them knew that at the time, 
deep down somewhere, the reason that she felt able to do what she was doing was the same reason they have the same surname. Wow. Because Cooper is not an African surname. And so something about those hmm. uh, intergenerational traumatic power structures made her feel entitled to that. And the thing that I that I realized that I, you know, I've already written about in my book, and I, you know, I've I've specifically written about scenarios like this in the book, which came out in 2018 in the Girls Feminist book. But something extra came to me in the analysis of this, and I I thought, oh my God, white women especially even more than white men because of our perceived fragility and vulnerability and because of the power of us making ourselves small or looking vulnerable, crying, the power of our tears, that, uh, it, that is just projected upon us. All of this shit is projected upon us, all, all of us. Like the, the, what's projected on black people, what's projected on a black woman or a black man or a, a white woman. But I, I have been saying for a long time that white women are the least criminalised, uh, most protected people in the world. I'm not certainly not the only person to have said that, but I have been saying it a long time as a white woman because it's not something I hear white women say much. And I just, when I saw Christian and Amy Cooper, I just thought, oh my God, every single white woman, because of this added layer of, oh, someone might hurt me that is projected upon us, we're all walking around with a loaded gun on our person all the time that we cannot put down. We have a power specifically over black men and women. We have a loaded gun on our person. We can't leave it at home uh, because it comes with what is projected upon us. And either we know we have it and we purposefully use it or we very are very careful never to use it or we've accidentally used it in the past, felt its power and gone, oh, I get it. I must never use this because any use of it is a misuse of it. Hmm. or and I think this is worse we don't know we have it and some white women will deny that they have it or they just they've just never thought about it they've never needed to think about it if you're privileged you don't think about those things if you could just walk into any space it's very easy you know if doors automatically open for you like those sort of sliding doors if you stand there if they automatically open for you it's really easy sort of not even to notice that they open so there are some white women who do not know they're carrying it. And if you don't know you're carrying it and other white women don't educate you and demonstrate to you clearly you are carrying this loaded gun, you're the most dangerous person of all hmm. because you might find that you have it in an emotional moment. And Amy Cooper found herself in an emotional moment in that park. I don't know her history. I don't know if she's used it before. I mean, it seemed so coded and loaded what she was doing that I suspect very heavily that she did know. But certainly lots of white women don't know. And then they use it in an irrational moment or a moment where they feel attacked and they think, oh, my God, I've been accused of not following the rules. I'm suddenly feeling very defensive. And they find they have a loaded gun on their person and they use it. So I thought I really need to know more about this and, and I have a platform and I need to educate other white women about this and make them take that responsibility seriously. And one of the things I did is I started listening to a new podcast called We're Having a Moment by Baratunde Thurston. And if you're not listening to it, and especially if you're white, I mean, I recommend it for anybody. It's like vitamins for your brain and it's a tonic for the soul. 
And it's specifically about the Black Lives Matter movement and how it's come out of this period of lockdown. And uh, there's an episode called No Right Way to Protest, etc. Very, very, very interesting. Lots of interesting interviews. But one thing that he said in the first episode I listened to was about Amy Cooper. And he said that she said in her apology, and he said, to be fair to her, she apologized. But in her apology, she said, I've always seen the police as a protector. and I hadn't sort of clocked or realised that the police don't protect everybody. And he said, but what she didn't say was there was no need for her to be protected. She just felt caught out, ended up in a status battle about, I don't want to put my dog on a lead. And she said, ultimately, she didn't want to be told by a black man to put her dog on a lead because she felt superior. And so she used this power. And he said, a white person needs to sit down with her and say, when did you realise you had this power? When was the first time you've used this power? Was this the first time or have there been previous periods? How have you used this power? How will you make sure you don't use this power again? And those were, I think, the words I was looking for in the ideas that I had been sifting through myself. And I suddenly thought, oh, okay, I get it. The way that I feel about men, when the intersection of power that we're talking about is gender, not all, but almost all men have better upper body strength than me. So in any kind of physical altercation with a man, I'm probably going to come off worse. And it could be the you know, the, the worst two possible things that can happen to somebody could happen to me if I'm in a wrong situation with a man. So I'm, you know how you're on that high alert if you're walking home alone or if you're suddenly with a taxi driver and it goes a bit dodgy or something, you know, when you, you know, you feel you're left in a room at a party with someone and you get the bad feeling and all women know this feeling. And that is because ultimately men have superior upper body strength. So we always need to be anything from a bit alert to scared if we're in those situations. And I just thought, oh, I get it in a sort of way that I hadn't been able to articulate before. That's what white people have, constant upper body strength, but it's structural Mm. white upper body strength. We have structure, constant structural upper body strength and So like a man has to be much more careful with a woman not to, like if a man turns around and screams at a woman, it's different from a woman screaming at a man because of the potential follow through, because of the power structures are on his side, because he can push her over and he can really hurt her. And white people have to be the same because you're carrying this upper body strength that you, if you're not aware of it, you have to become aware of it. It's so, so, so important to become aware of that upper body strength. And something that Athena, that was on your Twitter that I thought, one reason I asked you to do this is that you said, I'm not calling it white supremacy anymore because there's nothing supreme about it. I'm calling it white depravity. And I was like, oh my God. And that was really hard to read, but I was like, you're not wrong. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's why I wrote it. I I think one of the reasons why I'm tired is because I think when you intimately know the history of anti-black racism, when you know about the gynecological tests that were done on, on African-American women, you know, when you know about the Congo, when you know about Kenya, when you know about South Africa, when you know about London and the things that happened here, when you know about it all intimately, and then people are just starting to realise it's weird. It's almost like being fluent in a language and all that no one understands and suddenly everyone's fluent and wants to talk to you. And it's like, oh, it was quiet for ages and now you all know the language. So, but yeah, I mean, I think we haven't, I don't think we've really come to terms, and not just white people, I think we as black people have come to terms with how, you know, we don't use the word Holocaust, but it is a Holocaust to happen to Africans all over the world, you know, and we don't know the extent of it, 
and we don't understand the globalization of it. We don't talk about South America when more Africans went there than anywhere. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Our guest today are Leila Hussein, who is a psychotherapist and anti-FGM campaigner, who regular listeners of The Guilty Feminist will know, co-founded the Dahlia Project, which is Europe's only counselling service for survivors of female genital mutilation. And you have supported listeners, you've supported uh, the Dahlia Project a number of times, most memorably the times that we did our Jane Austen tenors Our second guest is Stephanie Pearson, who is a writer, poet and educator and who is the director of the Black Education Project and I found through the Black Lives Matter UK Instagram account. Our third guest is Adenike Adesanya. She is an activist for causes such as Extinction Rebellion and Black Lives Matter, as well as working as a frontline carer and model. Please welcome Leila, Stephanie and Ade. Okay, so Stephanie and Ade, could you start us off with telling us about Black Lives Matter UK as two women who are at the centre of that? Okay, so we're at the point now where everyone's focusing on their own projects. Um, Obviously, we're still very involved with the protest, but we're actually thinking about the changes beyond the protest. And, you know, once everyone stops walking down the street, we've already noticed it's not trending as much as it was a few weeks ago at the marches. There's not as many people that are attending. Interest seems to be dying down. People are like, oh, Black Lives Matter last week. But now something else is happening. And it's like, actually, no, we need to think about long-term solutions. So I think of a lot of us that are involved. I haven't been to protests in central London for the last few weeks because I have spent the weekends working on my laptop, actually working on the changes beyond the movement, really thinking about the things that are going to happen afterwards, the ongoing changes. As well, myself and my partner bought 
a big speaker and we live near quite a busy park in Hackney and sometimes we walk through the park and just um, talk because the people that are sitting in the park are the people that actually, you know, when we go to the march, the people there, they're involved. They understand why Black Lives Matter, but the people sitting in the park on a Saturday, they don't. So by taking our speaker and having a little walk through, um, we're reaching people that actually we wouldn't reach at the protest because they're not there. And we've got into like quite a lot of really interesting conversations just by talking. And obviously some people will come over, but some people will stay on their mats and do what they're doing, but they're still listening to what we're saying. And that is the point that we want everyone to be listening and understand what it is we're fighting for. Of course. Yeah. Are you coming in there, Ade? Yeah, so at the moment, I've also taken a break because, as you know, I'm I'm a frontline carer, so I've also got to try and split in that sort of role and also activism work. But because I've been doing this for a year plus now, it's it's normal for an activist to take time out to do other stuff because you don't want to burn. If you burn, then you ain't got motivation, ain't got energy to go back on the streets and do what you're doing. So pulling away from being around everyone like in a social place and working on projects to try to push this movement because I'm seeing on social media that people think it's a trend when it's not, it's a lifestyle. So we need to continue to fight for what's right. And even if you're not someone that likes to go on the street to protest, you can also just do other stuff. So it's just about what we can do to help our community as one and not like work against each other. So what can we do? How can we help? So if we are the kind of people who go on protests, we should be going out and supporting them uh, now and not just at the beginning, but we should go back out onto the street. If we're someone that, for whatever reason, responsibilities or sheltering or access or agoraphobia or any of those things, if we're not protest people, what can we do to help? I mean, you can make donations to like a really good charity that stands for Black Lives Matter movement or... We are having, there's a big crisis in Yemen where literally the whole country is starving to death. And that's something that's not been highlighted properly onto the media, but it's now being pushed as well. Or you can also contact your local MP regarding the situation and even contact like your mayor in your area or talk on social media, connect with people that are also interested in to know more about the Black Lives Matter or Black history itself. For me, I've grown up in a Guyanese household and growing up, your money is your money and, you know, you keep your money to your chest. You don't pass your money on. You You don't donate. You don't do this. That's your money. You've worked hard for it. And I know a lot of people have that mentality and it's true. Obviously, I'm a mother myself, so my money that I make, I work hard for it, you know? So I understand a lot of people are at the point where they're like, well, I can't donate. I can't put money here. I can't put money there. But it's about you don't just need to donate to be actively involved. There's so many other ways that you can be involved. And that, for me, as an educator, it's it's education. And it might be talking to your friends, talking to your children, talking to everyone that you can talk to, everyone that will listen, even if they won't listen, talk to them. And if somebody comes to you with something and you feel like, you haven't got the skills to answer or respond to them appropriately, you're in lockdown. Go away, read some stuff, and then come back to them with the answer. Mm. And say, oh, actually, that conversation we had, this is why that, you know? 
Like there is yeah. no shame at all about educating yourself. There's no shame about acquiring knowledge. I literally sat here on Saturday night watching the program and I was like, this is so interesting. And then I pulled out my notepads and my pen and started taking notes on it because I was like, actually, this is something that needs to be incorporated into what others know. So let yeah. me write a post about that. Let me share some information about this. And that's what I'm constantly doing using whatever platform you have. If you've obviously got a platform, use that. If you haven't got a platform, you've got a platform amongst your friendship group. Build it. Yeah, build like it. With your children. Can we talk a bit about misogynoir and how this particularly relates to girls and women and the forefronting of men in this discussion? So the trigger points in America being male people, partly because of video evidence, but Breonna Taylor, who was a paramedic shot in her own home, in her own bed, had no criminal record, and there isn't the same outrage for her. And there isn't the same consequences either, because George Floyd's killers have been arrested, although I did see today one of them's been released. Well, actually, um, two have been released. Two have been released now, have they? Yeah. Um, but there has at least been some arrests there. But with Breonna Taylor, one guy's been fired. And I'm like, I got fired once because I left the cash box out on the counter and I went to the loo. That's what you get fired for. You get fired for consistently getting the coffee orders wrong. You don't get fired for homicide. You get arrested mm-hmm. for homicide. And, you know, whatever and there should you be think an investigation. About, yeah. Whatever you think about the bigger power structures around imprisonment and that kind of thing, under this current system, when so many black people are being arrested and imprisoned for those men to walk is not acceptable. So how does this even more so impact black girls and women? I feel like we've got to always work like 10 times harder to kind of be seen or be noticed. And it's devastating to hear Breonna Taylor's story and the fact that still we're waiting for the justice that she deserves because all these deaths that keep occurring, regardless of whether these people in their personal lives were innocent or not, the way they died was just unlawful. It shouldn't have happened. And I'm sorry, but as a police officer, if you kill somebody, you should also be convicted for the murder, just like any normal person would. So I don't know why, as black people, we're treated as like a lower income to society and we're not, we're not accepted equally because of our skin. I don't, I don't know how they can use someone's colour as a weapon and just run with it, but it's just... I'm called for, it's not fair, and I'm just waiting for justice to be served. And this is why me, Steph, are doing different things to try to help bring our community together because we're tired of the situations occurring and we cannot stand back and be silent anymore because we need to do something. There is more of us than there is of these police officers. Do we think Black Lives Matter is really talking about misogynoir between, within its confines? I think there's been lots of campaigning about women who are victims of police brutality as it happens, but it's always louder for men. Now, I don't lament that. I want everybody to be spoken about, but I want everyone to be spoken about at the same volume. So what do we Mm. think we can do as a movement to better educate ourselves on on where we're not giving the same victims the same airtime, so to speak? And how can we make sure we're always self-reflecting you know, I'm not perpetuating that reality and doing better for the women and girls who are victims. I think for us, we need to all work together and mm. not be enemies with one another because of the of shades course, of our yeah. skin. 
because yeah. oh you're a man i'm a woman you're light skin you're dark skin we're all on the same side and we're all fighting for the same thing and colorism the other way where dark-skinned black women are excluded or not represented is a real thing isn't it athena yeah, I mean, definitely, we probably have all experiences. It's funny because I'm I'm Guyanese too. My mum is Indian Guyanese, and there's a you know, so Afrophobia is a big thing in the Indian Guyanese community. And then similarly in the Asian community, colorism is a big thing. So it's something that I personal um, experience of, still experience to the day with my family actually. But anyway, it's um, weird, you know, it's odd. Why why are people who are black and brown? discriminating against each other based on different shades of skin and it's historical it's because historically if you had light skin that was proximity to whiteness which meant you were good and you could escape this prison of racism that you're in and if you were dark you had no proximity there was no hope um it goes back to the caste system it goes back to um the plantations you know and we're talking talking about the caste system we're talking about millennia here we're not talking about 50 60 100 years we're talking about millennia that's how old indian culture is it's ancient our culture is nothing it's a baby culture compared to indian culture it's inexcusable and actually at this stage of our existence on the planet I can't blame anyone but ourselves I won't point the finger at white people for colorism anymore I will point the finger at them for maintaining it there were white people who will prefer you if you're light-skinned or whatever but we don't have to participate in it anymore we don't we don't have to select light-skinned partners over dark-skinned partners you don't have to um we, as musicians you know we don't have to you know, replace dark-skinned singers with light-skinned mime artists. This is what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, we make those decisions and we need to own it, which is kind of a little bit what I was alluding to with my last comment. It's like, we can't just ask white people to unlearn their superiority. We have to unlearn our feelings of inferiority. We have to stop being invested in these systems too and be inward-looking. And colorism is historical, but it, we're at the stage now where we also have to say, if we don't stop doing it, it's not going to go away. You can't ask white people to fix this for us. This is our problem now. Layla, just to bring you in, you had a response to that, Layla, that I could see, and we haven't heard from you yet. <laughs> Dying to bring I mean, you in. First of all, I, I just love the fact that, you know, I mean, I've never experienced being on a panel on Guilty Feminists with just black women. So I appreciate that. This is the kind of things that needs to be done, is using, you're a white woman, so you're using your privilege to amplify our voices. So I think that's really important and it needs to be continuous. With Adina, I do agree and disagree at the same time. I think it's difficult to ask black people just to change that behaviour. You cannot change if you're born into a system that doesn't allow you to think any differently. So those of us who can, because we had the privilege. So I think we have to be careful when we say, hey, you know, black people, let's stop. I think that that would be great in one way. But it's very difficult when you're a young black man who was born into a very impoverished area. You went to the worst schools. No one funded in your school. There's no youth centers near you. You were harassed by the police by the time you were 11, imprisoned by 17. It's difficult to really. And I think for me, my frustration around this, I would say this is another civil rights movement that's picked up. And I'm very behind the message Black Lives Matter because we are most marginalized people. And I've said to Deborah a few times privately on the phone, I said, we need to talk about black women because they are left behind. You know, there is a misogyny within that space, too. So for me, what I started doing as a therapist is actually start creating a safe space just for black women and not apologize for it. I don't want to talk to white people in this space. I don't want to talk to Asian people in this space. If you consider yourself black, You are allowed in this place that we created online for ourselves because as black women, we need to express our anger. We need to express our anger, 
not just with white people, but within our own community, because it's shocking to me that even with the marches we've had in the last couple of weeks, and and I've said this, we're going to forget about this again. But what's really upsetting is only last week, a black lives activist, uh, female activist got killed and sexually assaulted. But no one's talking about her till now. What we have to think about is what we are dealing with is not just physical oppression. We are dealing with mental oppression. There's, we are groomed into constantly thinking we only come out when black men are killed. So that's one issue that we're dealing with. And I guess all of us have separate solutions. And I like what you said, Stephanie, you know, all of us have to work together. And I would like to join with you guys because a few weeks ago, we post, I posted just to create, because I've been running online uh, emotional well-being calls for lots of activists, but I specifically created one for black women. And within 24 hours, we had 4,000 requests. So we cannot say this is not happening. It's there. And let me tell you, when these women log into these schools, they are fed up. They are frustrated. I can't even go into some of the stories that these women tell me from their workplace to their relationships. Just being black women is an issue. I know as a black woman, whenever I walk into spaces, people either hold their bags. They think I'm their um, waitress. That's the norm for black women on a daily basis. So the bit I want to bring into this conversation, I have been working in violence against women for over coming up to 18 years now, specifically with women and girls who have been affected by female genital mutilation, but now also in in my clinic, we're dealing with women who experience something called breast ironing. So their breasts are taken away so men don't rape them. So again, another physical mutilation to protect girls from being raped from men. Why have we taken those issues seriously? Because majority of the time it affects the black child. Because statistically... The most vulnerable human being in the world, it's the black girl child. Hence why. So when we are talking about FGM, 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 breast ironing, all those issues should be part of the black lives uh, movement space. So I would actually would like to suggest on this podcast where we, me, Stephanie, all of us, we have to work together because a lot of us actors feel really isolated in that space because no one is coming out and shouting for black girls who are being cut. And statistically, every 11 second, a girl will be mutilated and you don't see people marching for that. And that is what really frustrates me. And that's where I am. And also why, again, me and my friend Fatima, who created this space, because we need space to be angry. Before we can move on and have solutions, we have to have the space to be angry because this has been going on for centuries. And every time a black person expresses any anger or frustration, it's always... Someone saying, well, you know, we must think about it this other way. Please don't be mad. But when a white man, let's be honest, in the West, when, you know, there was a, people got really pissed off. There was a war that happened in Iraq. Janda said, no one said to white people, please calm down. Please calm down. Don't be so angry with Iraqis and Syrians. You don't hear people say that to white people. But when a black person expresses any form of anger of what they experience, it's always, let's calm down. Let's find another solution. And I'm really exhausted and tired of trying to explain that female genital mutilation is a serious sexual assault against children. And while we're not marching out there, it's absolutely crazy. To, and that should not be on black people. Actually, I would love to see a Black Lives Matter with just white people because white people need to use their power. Like that woman, Amy Cooper, what Amy Cooper did, she knew her power, she weaponized her power. So what white people need to do is weaponize their power and use it for good. And there should be marching because we are exhausted i'm exhausted i didn't go to the march because i was tired because i'm running you know these calls 
with women who are really, really hurt. So that's exhausting for me. I cannot go out to a march. I would love to, but I literally just couldn't. So I'm, I'm someone who's in this space where I'm angry, but I'm fed up, but something needs to change. But what we need to change is we can't keep this as a issue that just breaks out every few months or every couple of years. This is one of the worst forms of oppression, genocide. We need to use the right language. This is genocide against black people. Girls being mutilated is genocide against black children. We need to call it that. We can't use the word cultural practice. Why do we use that word cultural practice when it's black kids? It's unbelievable. You know, so sorry, I'm bringing the, well, I'm not actually apologized. I told myself I'm not apologized for being angry. I will bring the anger because we need to be angry for black women. And I'm not going to apologize for that. And what's happening with FGM at the moment, Leila? You were telling me that it's because yeah. of lockdown, it's got worse. It's got worse. It's got absolutely got worse. Every Wednesday morning, I do a call with frontline activists working in different parts of the world. And it's this hard. I've actually quite become numb. Every Wednesday, I'm told 30 girls got cut, 70 girls got cut today. You know, last week, 890 got cut. And it's no, there's no outrage. There's no newspaper that's covering this. It's unbelievable. It's to me, it's so, it's really frustrating. And, and this is something I've experienced as a child. What does that say to me? You know, what if my daughter gets cut? That means she's not valued by this society. What I'm hearing is we are not valued because we were born female and black. We are not valued. That's what I'm hearing all the time. It's not just FGM. Some of them are sexually trafficked. You know, again, breast ironing is happening. Some of them, I don't like to use the word married off because a child cannot be married off. These are older men buying girls as brides, you know. So the violence, I worry. I was worried about black girls before. Isn't it interesting how the world freaked out about a virus, but girls being mutilated, not same anger or not, not same attention to it. It's unbelievable. Seven-year-old gets mutilated publicly, like where her, part of her body is taken away. I'm not saying there's nothing, there's, we shouldn't be outraged about this virus. We should, but we really need to think about that as human beings. But again, it's because virus is hurting people who are privileged. So we have to be outraged. Leila, you were saying that some countries have now criminalized FGM, but you find this very problematic. Absolutely. Listen, globally, globally, every country harming a child is already illegal. But again, what we keep doing is we're saying we need a separate law just because of the way I look now. And that's what's so frustrating because then you're saying I'm different. And what really frustrates me every time there's a, like recently there was a law that was passed in Sudan and everybody was waiting. And I recorded this little video saying, OK, great. It's, but they had to wait for religious men to give them permission. So that's what's crazy to me. They had to wait for a man, a system managed by man to give them permission everywhere in the world. Actually, the UN Child Convention that everybody, every country has signed on to, meaning that you cannot harm a child. The only place that hasn't signed on is the US, interestingly enough, is because they have children on death row in the US. That's a whole podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a whole separate issue. So legally, children are protected from harm. But again, for some reason, there's a system because creating a new law, it means you give people new, there, there are consultants who are given these jobs. People have to write up these bills. There's money involved in creating laws. You don't need to. You don't say that to white girls. Oh, yeah, your genitalia are mutilated. We'll have a law separately just for you. Why is it we always have to have a separate law when it comes to black and brown children? And what's so crazy about the UK law, the child is expected to give evidence. No child is going to give evidence against their own parents. So I find the FGM law, and I know a lot of my 
friends who are lawyers who have worked with on this will disagree with me because they believe there has to be a symbolized law. But why is it for a particular group of people and not for everybody? Look at France. France has no FGM Act and they have the highest number of convictions in the world because they convict under the Child Abuse Act because every child's equal under the law. That's what we're saying. But again, yet again, we are telling black children they're different. Even under the law, they're different. So if someone took a white girl and committed a violent sexual assault on her, as in the case of FGM, immediately the perpetrators would be prosecuted. But because it's a black girl, it has to have a special law. Well, Deborah, you would know. Well, I had a white woman who came to my clinic a couple of years ago because we were the only ones who could see her because she, quick story. So she came out as gay to her parents at the age of 13. Her parents were very violent people anyway. Her dad few times went to her bedroom and cut her clitoris off, few times, and really took a knife to her genitalia. When she turned 18, she found out about my clinic, the only place she could come because, you know, she was mutilated. That's what happened. Mm. We were the only clinic she could come to. She ended up taking her dad to court. He was never convicted under the FGM Act. He was convicted under the Child Abuse Act, neglect, you know. I mean, there was a whole list of things, but not FGM because she was white. Mm. And I think this is where black people have to speak out. When we are talking about issues like FGM, we can't say it's a cultural practice. This is something that affects black children. So if you're Caribbean, you know, if you're from, you know, you're not necessarily from Africa, you have to speak out on this because I think that's also been the issue with FGM. It was always considered something that happens to African people on the side. It's not. This is a, it's a black issue. You know, black girls who are British are affected by this. Also, black activists, black people with big names, they need to speak out and use their platforms and say, hey, this is not going to happen. And that's also been so, an issue. It felt really isolated to be in that space. So one thing you're looking for is black celebrities to wear a T-shirt, to stand there, to go, we have to stop this. So if there are any, uh, I mean, this podcast has a very wide listenership and, and uh, a lot of people <laughs> listen to it who know somebody. Can you get in touch with Leila Hussain at the Dahlia Project and say, yes, I would, or, you know, yeah, I'm best friends with I need, I'm, Idris I'm Elba. being direct. I'm being black. I want black big names to come forward and say okay. this is wrong. Yeah. Athena, are you friends with Idris Elba? Be honest. Um, no. Can you become um, <laughs> friends with him as a mission? I'll be honest with you. That's quite a challenge. I'll DM him. I'll go on Twitter and I'll slide yeah, into his DMs. Slide into Idris Elba's DMs. Does anybody yeah. know? Somali. His wife is Somali. I might have to use like clan connections to get hold of her. So. <laughs> Boomi, you're a musician. Do you know Beyonce? Um, no, I don't. Ugh, I've no, tried. Look, I'm please. using my. This is what I'm doing. I'm using my network. We must. We've got between us. We've got to be six degrees I away also, from Beyonce. I also want the women on this podcast to really like. We have to join up together. Like, I'm, I'm already. You know, we are creating these spaces. It's all of us. You know. Yeah, think, lady, you've already inspired me to go and research and write a post on this tonight. Um, no, 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 drop me an email. We're working together, Stephanie. And actually, I don't want to say where I live, but I don't live very far from you, so. <laughs> <laughs> I have a I have a panic alarm in this house, so I've, I've got a few fatwas on me, so I can't. Do you I say live, that because you've heard me from walking me. around with my um, my speaker? <laughs> <laughs> there she goes again. I'll join you. I will join you on the speaker. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. You could borrow the speaker yeah. together. Yes, yeah, we, we have a six foot vagina costume. We try to chase Theresa May around with. I might bring that with me. <laughs> And you can bring your speaker. That would be fine. That is finest. Stephanie, this might link in. You are the director of the Black Education Project. Could you just tell us about that? 
Yes, so um, it's a company that's spun out of lockdown. Um, I've always been really interested in black history. I did um, social history at university. So it's something that I'm like hugely passionate about. And then actually a lot of the protesters are teach black history in schools, teach black. And I thought I teach black history in school. I've been a primary teacher for seven years. So every year group that I'm in, we always teach black history. We don't just do it as a token gesture for Black History Month. Mm. We will do an entire topic on someone or something or incorporate it into our English with our books or incorporate it any way we can. So I'm thinking, well, if I can do it, I'm matching the national curriculum. So I've gone through the national curriculum from reception, well, developmental matters up to the end of year nine. And actually, you can meet the objectives and incorporate black history into the curriculum. And I think a lot of my issue is that teachers are scared to try new things because that's not their area of expertise. But you need to think about how you apply yourself every time you go into a new year group. So, for example, I recently moved year groups. I've been in a year group for quite a few years. And one of the topics was um, rocks. I knew nothing about rocks, but I had to go off and research it. Um, Mm. And then obviously now (laughs) I know it's the same thing. If Mm. your topic is you need to cover this, go and research it exactly the same as what you would for any other topic. Just because it has the word black, just because it's black history, it doesn't mean you need to approach history in any different way to how you would teach it for any other subject. But my issue that I found now, which I think, you know, obviously people are still walking the streets saying teach black history in schools. Okay, we need to teach the teachers to be open and teach black history because you can teach it in your schools. So my project, I've created lesson plans from reception up until the end of year nine for full schemes of work that meet the national um, curriculum objectives for each year group. The skills build on each other. It's very empowering. So I've spent a lot of time working on um, not just the civil rights movement and slavery. It's what goes beyond that. And I've sort of tied it in with the other topics that happen across the year groups. I've also planned English units of work matching the English objectives and the reading objectives for each year group. There's a lot of those I'm still working on because I've had to email a lot of publishing houses and authors individually because I need permission to plan from their books. But the history side of it is pretty much complete. I'm just waiting on because I want to deliver this as a full package. So You've got your history, you've got your English, you've got everything, you're good to go, just go and teach it. So if we're a teacher, we can come and get it from the Black Education Project and we can get some resources. My issue is once children, young adults get into year 10, because there used to be a section, obviously year 10 they do their GCSE, so you're kind of restricted in the text and the history that you can teach. And that is where it is a problem, teaching black history because it doesn't seem to meet any of the objectives. And for English, there are 11 books in the section of British authors. Now, it used to be prose from a different culture. Now, they scrapped that section in 2014. And Maya Angelou's book was in that section. I know what the cage bird sings. 
Now that was scrapped 2014. So very recently and very undercover, but it was then replaced by this new segment about British authors. Now there were 11 books in this section and not a single one of those 11 books is written by a black author. One of the books is written about a child that's come over to England from Africa. Um, I haven't read the book, but I've obviously read about the book. But that book is written by a 44-year-old man, white man, from Luton. And, you know, you've got an inclusive text in there in terms of content. But actually, there are so many amazing black British authors. Why didn't the government take that opportunity to say, okay, let's take this author. Let's use this book, you know? Do you think if we called her Maya Angeluton... They might put her back on the syllabus. I mean, but this is the problem, isn't it? You know, removing Maya Angela's book, there's an intent behind it. That's the whole point. It's not like they didn't know what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. That's why they removed it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Again, it's a brainwashing system. Because I remember in school when I watched, my parents made me watch Roots all the way to the end. But in school, we nobody's watched Roots all the way to the end. We only see the bit that where black people were kidnapped and they were enslaved. No one knows the end of that story. But that's a way of grooming somebody's mind that you are supposed to think this is who you are. So it's, I'm not surprised, but this is the battle you're on all the time. You have to fight the system. Absolutely. I want to to make three really quick points because of what you're saying is really important. Um, First of all, I've got a fact for you, Deborah. Good fact. Thank you. Um, Love a fact. Yeah, the first gunshot fired to start World War I was fired by a Ghanaian. Yeah, his wow. name was Alaji. That's what that's wow. a fact. So when we talk this goes into my second fact. When we talk about black history, we're not talking about a history that is any different to the history of British people. There were black yeah. people walking around called Dave Smith. Okay. There were not white people walking around called Kwame Nkrumah. It doesn't happen. Okay. There were black men called Winston, and we find that culturally appropriate because that's a Jamaican name. Well, it's not a Jamaican name. Our most famous prime minister is called Winston. So the concept of black history existing in this bubble that we have to pull things out of and stick in front of people is is actually not correct. What is correct is that history has been whitewashed and black history is simply putting black people back into the history they're already learning. You can learn about black people and still learn about World War II. You can learn about black people and still learn about the Tudors. Okay, Mm. it's and I think that is an institutional blindness they don't it's we struggle to communicate this for some reason but by saying we want black people in the curriculum we're not saying we want black history we're saying we want all the black people you erase out of the curriculum you already have okay mm. um on on school oh the third point institutions are slow to change we know this because they've even asked them to change for 400 years but people are quick to change okay and if we mm. can empower ourselves to do one thing as privileged people it's like those books on that GCSE equivalent are all white, but your bookshelves at home, they can have whatever they want on them. Okay. How can we go, okay, we've got one part of our campaign on the schools, but the other part is like, how can we empower ourselves and our homes to concurrently do empowering things for our kids that won't happen in the school? Um, my friend has a daughter who went to school and was studying Christopher Columbus. My friend is um, from Barbados and Trinidad. And when she came home with homework, talking about how great Christopher Columbus was, she could sit her child down and say, by the way, he was an idiot who got lost all the time. All the time. He, no, this, it's, that's funny, what he did. it's funny you okay. said that, actually. 
when I was teaching in year two, one of our topics was Christopher Columbus. And my head teacher is actually an Australian man. So he's always been brought up to Christopher Columbus is amazing. He's great. He's great. Uh, anyway, then um, I changed the planning. And I remember doing an assembly and he was literally standing at the side, mortified as my little seven-year-old stood there and um, reeled a lot of facts off. And afterwards, I was like, well, these are facts. You know, get with the times. It's like, you know, that's what not what I was taught in school. Obviously, he grew up in Australia. That was his education. But it was like, well, this is what we need to learn. You know, this is actually what we need to cover. But I actually got a detention for saying Christopher Columbus got lost. He never found America. Because I grew up in Italy in my early childhood, so I knew about, I watched cartoons about Christopher Columbus, but I never understood how somebody found a land that already had people in it. So in my year nine paper, um, <laughs> I basically reflected on the fact that I think I said he couldn't have, and my teacher kept telling me, she said, you need to change it or you will fail. And I got detention for it. Wow. Oh, wow. Well, that's, that's a bit harsh. It. Well, you you were right. The reason that Native Americans are called Indians is because he thought he was an India. He's not. He wasn't the brightest tool in the in the in the box, was he? Uh, sharpest tool in the box doesn't reflect well on me either. Maybe I'm related to Christopher Columbus. He wasn't the sharpest tool in the box. Can I ask? Uh, first of all, Leila Hussein, is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say that you'd like to leave on the table? And how can we help you? What can we do? Well, I've said everything I needed to say. I think for me right now, my number one priority is that safe space for black women. So if you go on my Instagram page, we have a Google form for the women to fill in. This week, we're going to be interviewing a couple of other black therapists who will be joining us. So we're going to be running. So we run our calls on Thursdays now, but we hope to do more days. I think for me right now, we need that space to vent and not apologize for. So that's quite critical to me. And if you want to, and please, if you support the Dahlia Project, That'd be also great. <laughs> so financially support the Dahlia Project. If you're a black woman and you need some safe space to talk exclusively to other black women, Layla is uh, has set up an amazing project. Do you need money to fund that as well? We do actually, but we're not a charity. So people have donated. People are actually donating money to us as we speak. So that would be oh, great so if that can happen. Yeah, because great. I set okay. up a. Uh, Did you set up a GoFundMe or something? No, we didn't do that. So I set it up an enterprise company a year ago where I'm dealing with emotional well-being work. So we're just doing it under that. So okay. it's just so go to Layla's Instagram. Layla's Layla Instagram Hussein UK. Is that your yep. Instagram? Yeah. Right. Go to Layla Hussein UK and get involved either if you're a black woman, uh, if you need a safe space or if you'd like to donate and just amplify what Layla's doing. If you don't have any Absolutely. money, that's fine. Yeah, you can just share amplify. it. Share with other black women share who need this space. It's so important. Or share with other people who are, are white or of other races who may donate or amplify and support. Ade, what can we do to help you? I'm still obviously like working on a few projects. So whatever I kind of put out there, it'll be nice for you guys to support if it's with reposting or commenting or just trying to spread awareness. But I really like what um, Layla's kind of doing with the FGM thing. And that's something that we need to spread more awareness with. So the next time I go on the streets, I better make sure I have a post for that too, because this is something really important. So I'm inspired by what you've been doing, man. It's so good no, to, honestly. to connect yeah. amazing, active women. Yeah. Where can we follow you, Ade? Ade underscore talks, which is A-D-E underscore T-A-L-K-S. 
And I really recommend you do follow Ade on Instagram because she's a model as well and just so many amazing images as well as so much amazing <laughs> Black Lives Matter stuff. It's really, really good. My Thank Instagram you. experience has been augmented massively since following Ade. And Ade, is there anything oh. else you came to say to get off your chest about Black women and girls mattering before you go? I just hope that something like this, because I've never been on a podcast myself before, but I like the fact that I was invited onto the show. So thank you very much, Deborah. And also thank you very much, Steph, as well, because I wouldn't have had that connection to be on here today. But I think there needs to be more of this. Like, I'm still, I'm a 26-year-old black female, so I'm still learning myself every day. I'm still trying to figure out who I am. And that's a journey that we're all taking. So I think... By being inspired by what other people are doing, it's good because you're re-educating yourself, you're learning and you're you're finding ways to improve yourself and what you can do to help society. So I think it's amazing what you all are doing. Thank you, Ade. And what you said before about not dropping the ball and going, oh, well, that was two weeks. We all went on a march. We put something on our Instagram and then move on with inverted commas normal life. The reason it needed to happen was normal life wasn't normal. And we need to now do the work to change the system. And uh, as Renee Lodge says, where do you hold power? Where do you hold influence? What can you change? If you think, oh, God, the world seems fucked. What area do you have influence over? And that could be something in your family, in your working life, the way you educate your children, what you ask to be on the curriculum at your children's school, what you will go in and do as an after school club. There's all sorts of ways that you do hold power, that you don't realise you hold power. And do remember, if you're a white woman, the power of the sort of, meme of the Karen, you know, of, oh, I'm going to speak to the manager. You do hold power. And that's what they were saying on the We're Having a Moment podcast is what if those women went down to the border to get kids out of cages? So think about where you have power. Stephanie, is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say? Yes. So um, first of all, when I was at school for Black History Month, there was one week where Black History was taught before school um, for half an hour and only the black children were invited to attend the sessions. Wow. So I know there's a whole generation which are not ignorant on purpose. It wasn't their fault, but they've got no knowledge of history because it wasn't taught to them because actually it was so segregated. That it was only for the black children to know. I want those people to know that they can find out and if they do want to send me a message or ask me a question or read through my posts I'm open to educating others it's what I do it comes naturally to me I would happily discuss things with you if that's what you want to talk about where can we follow you then Stephanie um black dot lives matter UK um, on Instagram. Dot lives matter UK. Okay. Yeah. And that's a very generous offer. And uh, please don't just ask random black people to educate you. Uh, but if somebody yes. is, oh, it's true, because it, many people are exhausted or no, they're like, oh, just, you know, it's true though. It's true though. I've, it is had, I've never had a black person just message me and go, you know, that's Shakespeare. He was white. Um, I wanted a half hour tutorial because you are also white. I'd be like, I'm sorry, I'm really busy. And I don't think you sometimes are. When, uh, when, when I get messages, I say, okay, well, if you don't know this, somebody else doesn't know this. And more time, I'll then do a post about the message and say, do you know what? I was writing something about that. Mm. I'm, I'm going to post it this afternoon and then I'll post it because that way I'm not answering 30 DMs or there's people that aren't asking. And actually, then you're like, oh, okay, I've learned that now. I didn't know that. You'd rather ask than not ask. Yeah, exactly. I think it's really important to ask. So important. It's 
if yeah. that's what everyone well, needs to do. Thank you, you don't for know. offering to do that. And I think people are going to take you up on it. Also, that curriculum that you're creating for kids, it would be a really valuable resource for all of us who yes. missed out yeah. on that education. And we could educate yeah. ourselves. So I don't know if there's any way that can be online. Uh, so for us I to do look at. have a GoFundMe page on my account. I've also, I've got a website, www.theblackeducationproject.co.uk. Nice and easy to remember. The resources at the moment where I've got the GoFundMe and I'm waiting to put all of the Key Stage 1 material in one book. And obviously I'm still waiting for permission for certain books. So as soon as I've got the permission, I can put everything collated together and then obviously need to pay a designer because I actually want to ensure these resources are really high quality. I don't want it to be something I've mocked Are there up any the white document. designers out there who would like to do this? I'm specifically asking for white designers to do it for free, uh, or at least non-black designers to do it for free. I'm not asking black designers to do it for free, but that would be great if you could send your CV and a sample of your work and you were prepared to, that was sort of a way you could contribute or even you might say, I'll do some of it for free and I'll set the house style. And then you can get, you know, another more junior designer to copy that you might pay or whatever. But if some designer would like to get involved, that would be a really nice thing to do. And you might be in lockdown and think, I really want to get involved in Black Lives Matter. But, you know, I've been on a couple of marches. What else can I do? This would be a great thing to get involved in. I'll donate to that. I think that sounds really practical and brilliant. Um, thank you, Stephanie. And Athena Kablinu. Is there anything you came to say today that you did not get off your chest? Yeah, and it's something that I think we've all said um, more or less. If you're not fighting for all black people, you're not fighting. You know, women, girls, trans men, trans women, Absolutely. gay, non-binary people, but non-binary, absolutely, refugees, refugees, elderly. All black people yeah. everywhere. We were talking, if we're talking, you know, over the whole, con- are you fighting for the Congo right now? You know, 163 people died in Ethiopia yesterday. Are we fighting for them? Yeah. If you're yeah. not fighting for all black people, Absolutely. you're not fighting for black lives matter. And it's so broad. It's limitless. It's, there is so much and it's never enough. So whatever you can do, do, but just understand it's not just straight black men. It's not just Americans. It's not just British people. It's not just black people in Europe. It's black people everywhere. We exist under a bizarre, global, consistent body of oppression. And um, this freedom is for all of us now. We've had enough. It's for all of us now. And we need to reiterate, because before I was saying what has triggered this uh, recent Black Lives Matter movement to come to boiling point in a way that people of all races are prepared to come out onto the street is black men being brutalised and killed on video, which is horrific and horrendous and shouldn't happen. And my point before was like, when it happens to black women, we don't seem to get the same response. But that is not to in any way undermine the fact that we do need this response for black men. And it is not just, oh, but he was vulnerable. Oh, but also it turns out he was a teacher. It doesn't matter if the black man was uh, six foot five and a boxer. It doesn't matter if he was guilty. The police are not there to kill people on the street. They are not judge and jury and nobody should be killing anybody on the street. I think we do have a sense of, oh, but this was an exceptional black man. No, 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 no. Black lives matter, full stop. But within that, we do need to look for vulnerable groups. Black trans women's life expectancy is poor and 
it should not be. So thank you so much, all of you. And Athena Kablenny, where can we follow you and where else can we hear you? I live on Twitter. So if you want to come see me tweet about depraved white people, come come find me. I do it every day. Uh, but Twitter, come follow me on Twitter. Your, My name's your, Athena your Twitter, Your Twitter account is uh, very educational. I've learned a lot from you. But you're different <laughs> on Twitter than you are in real life, I think. Am I? Well, I'm, yeah, I, don't, I can't explain that. I don't. Ha- I have more words in real life. Twitter, I've got to be a bit... Yeah, on the money. you're very punchy on, on Twitter, money but I learn a lot yeah. from it. I learn a lot. And, <laughs> it's all free. <laughs> uh, and also, you have your own podcast? I do. I have a podcast. It's called Keep Anything in the Company. People come around, keep my company. We have a chat and a laugh, nice. sometimes plantain. It's all nice. nice. So get involved in that too, if you'd like. Great. And finally, Boomy Thomas. We're delighted to see that you, a British musician, are still in Britain. Um, Thank you. And is there anything uh, that we can do to help you stay in Britain or to fight the Home Office in all of its inclusive and compassionate glory? (laughs) Sorry, that's funny. Oh, the Home Office. I mean, that's a loaded question. And um, Feel free to pull the trigger. Yeah. It's insane. I feel, I mean, when we look at the amalgamation, because all of these experiences are interconnected from the light, the Black Lives Matter movement to registration of um, kids born in the UK under the age of 18 to policies that are being written that are very divisive and very kind of covert in its marginalization of people of color. Yes, we can write to our MPs. Yes, we can create awareness about the issues that are taking place in real time. But I think to kind of anchor on what some of the other um, guests have said today, it really is about education. A lot of people really don't know what the lay of the land is. And um, it needs to be more present, I think, in be it social sciences uh, it needs to be more present in on the news. It needs to be more present in the social services and at schools. I think it's a massive overhaul. It's a massive reset. And um, it does involve writing to your MP, but I think it also involves MPs educating themselves on the realities that oh, they're constituents. <laughs> well, I mean, I hope that they would. I mean, in terms of what the real needs of their constituents are, I mean, they're sort of, career politics but then there's there are actually good people in politics who are there because they recognize their power and that they can make a change mm-hmm. and um it's our form as constituents to inform them of what our needs are mm-hmm. um they do want votes so if, if enough constituents tell them they want something and it's easy yeah. for them to give it they do want votes boomy tell us about your album so broken silence is the name of my ep and Broken Silence was written in response to my experience with the Home Office. Um, it's very much about displacement and belonging. It's about the fact that we identify so many things, but at the core of our constitution as beings is our sovereignty. And that sovereignty exists um, in spite of land or creed or gender. And um, if we don't regulate and understand our worth and our self, <laughs> self-value, then we're subject to so many forms of discrimination at a level of intensity that is totally paralyzing and um, highly dysfunctional. So it's my personal almost entry 
and saying what I went through to traverse the states of belonging and criminality as a result of the date of birth, criminality that has been fabricated based on the political and how that interferes with one's personal experience, in this case mine. It's about a black woman who is rediscovering herself and having to do so because there is a historical contradiction. And it's about the role that music plays as an integrator um, and as a form for healing and as a platform to create awareness about the fragility of identity and um, just opening up a space to have this conversation in a holistic way. And could you play us a song from it, please? So I have two options. I have either um, this Black Child, which is highly appropriate, and there is one called uh, Lesser. Lesser, Lesser. I think I'll start with Lesser, Lesser and end with Black Child, and then um, we can have a vote <laughs> and demonstrate democracy in action. <laughs> no, uh, I'll start with Lesser, Lesser. Noah's as it should be Breathing the light of creation Rise to the call of destiny I'm elevated Full of joy overflowing with love Lesser, lesser, croissant Couldn't you look a croissant Lesso, lesso, croissant Coney loco Lesso, lesso, croissant Coney loco, croissant Lesso, lesso, croissant Gliding from coast to coast Shape-shifting like flame Shedding all broken skin New life rising from within Feel the rhythm of ancient healing Feel the groove of every being Feel the lessons of the masters Taking root and sprouting wings I'm elevated Full of joy of a flowing Lesser, lesser, croissant Cody Loco Coruscant Lesso Lesso Coruscant Cody Loco Coruscant Lesso Lesso Cody Loco Lesso Lesso Coruscant Be gentle Be gentle with your heart this time Be gentle Softly with your soul, be gentle Gentle with your heart, be gentle Softly with your soul Softly with your soul 
That was beautiful song. Thank you. Really Thank you. So that song is a conversation with my father. Oh. And it's, oh. it's about waking. I, wo- I wrote the song because I woke up and I forgot that I had a refusal. I forgot about all the politics and I just woke up alive and I was giggling and dreamy. And then I remembered and then I recall being like, wow, you can choose what state you inhabit. Mm. I think this goes to what Athena was saying about Sometimes it's exhausting because you wake up and you sort of activate the program and you get caught in a role. And it's a role that sort of undermines your sovereignty. You have the right to choose where you choose to operate from. And no government can decide that for you. Anyway, Black Child is more about standing where you are and not feeling like you have to run because you don't have to. Transatlantic rhythm Blowing through my veins Pumping through my ecosystems Yes African Glaswegian Brazilian European Afropean International woman I'm seizing the moment I'm borderless I'm borderless 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 by design Borderless, borderless by design. Cultural migration is a complex situation. Fed by the need to seek, be free, and to experience life. Ah ah Re-education. Now I'm caught in the middle of the land and sea. Swimming against the tide, I just won't be free. Black child, ah uh-huh, child of the sun. Black child, oh, no need to run. Black child, ah uh-huh, pearl of the sea. Black child, oh. And if you're a real African, hey ho, hey ho. Proud in now your skin, cause you a born champion. Couldn't break us, cause we're never part of them plan. Nah, looking at my face, and you can see who I am. Separation made us stronger, our histories in our culture. Try to write us out of history, but today is still as like a mystery. From the first man to Selassie, I we Black child, ah, child of the sun. Black child, oh, no need to run. Black child, ah, bird of the sea. Black child, you are born free. 
pearl of the sea. Black child, let it Second world, third world, fourth world, fifth world, sixth world, seventh world nation. I don't get it. such a talent and as far as I'm concerned Britain where you were born should be begging you to stay and offering you enormous bursaries to stay and make your music here thank you so much for coming you, on the Deborah. show today I'd love you to come on the show another time and um that I would talk be great yeah I want to talk to you more too and I really enjoyed our first conversation and also the fact that you were like hold up stop let's talk about what's going on and don't suppress it and this is an issue and we can change it. I always remember that moment with that beautiful little girl. I think her dad bought her a ticket. I think it was her 13th birthday. Her 13th birthday. And, then, and he bought her a ticket to the Royal Albert Hall and they were like in the front row. And we ended yeah. up talking to her and then she came out. She was dancing she with came, you to I Will Survive came, at the end. Yes. And that was a pivotal moment. And for me, in my memory of that experience and a turning point in terms of women from across the spectrum, powerful, young, old, whatever, I mean, we're all unified in the energy that is generated when we come together in conversation from a point of unity, from a point of honesty, raw, authentic honesty, um, and advocating a change that only we can stimulate. It's wonderful and it's powerful. And Broken Silence is about that. It's about a unifying voice that sort of dissolves difference and brings people together because we've all had different experiences of discrimination or invisibility, or erasure. We've all felt broken, and we've all had to kind of rebirth ourselves from be it a bad relationship, or a marriage, or the loss of your identity, or the loss of your home. At a certain point in your life, if you're going through menopause, the loss of your... There's so many stages of transformation and reinvention, and I just feel that as women, we are the healing balm that balances the experience but also as artists, speakers, thinkers, activists, you know, frontline workers, comedians, we create the space for these consolidating voices. And um, I would definitely love to speak to you more about that. Um, Broken Silence is available now on all major digital platforms. I am happy to talk and connect on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Boomi Thomas and uh, Boomi UMI Thomas. Um, Boomi, it's been such a joy and an honour to have you play us out today. Uh, that's it's just glorious, and uh, your your EP will be on a loop in my house. I know that. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. Um, Thank you. And it might be a few people's Christmas presents as well. You have been listening to the Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host of the Blenu, and our very special guest, Layla Hussein, Stephanie Pearson, and Adonike Adesanya. And music from Booby Thomas. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and produced by Nick Sheldon. The producer was Tom Selinski from the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Rachel Crafton, Gina DCO, and everyone who makes this episode happen, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Woo! Woo!
you Thank are you. Idris Elba or Thank Beyonce you. or any <laughs> or any any high-profile black person, yeah. Layla Hussein mm-hmm. needs you. If you're a high-profile white you. white person, that's great as well, I'm, or an Asian listen, person. Listen, white people or, can help me look for black people. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you're sort of, Layla literally needs somebody to stand there with a t-shirt and go, this is not okay. Thank you so much to all of our patrons, but especially those who are supporting us at the Smash the Patriarchy level or above. Valerie Marr, John Quakoy, Sarah Brown, Ruby Rose Thompson, Sarah Boom, and Philip Engelhart. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.